want to talk to us about this topic, conquering the debt beast. I can't talk about financial stewardship or how to posture ourselves to leave a legacy without talking about the debt beast. By the way, when I'm talking about debt, I understand I understand there's different types of debt, and I'll unpack that in a bit. But mainly when I'm talking about the debt beast, I'm talking about consumer debt or debt that we've accrued from things that were not necessarily necessities or investments or, or any of those needs, but debt that came from just maybe unwise decisions or that we've just accrued over time. And I call it a beast because that's exactly what it can be when we're not taking control of, the, of our finances. And why? Because they found debt being a source that's connected to insomnia for some people, anxiety, fear, stealing a sense of peace, all that, feeling restricted. In fact, uh, Money Magnify Money did a research on, did research on the impact of debt on divorce, on divorce. They found one out of five divorced couples identified debt as the number one reason they got divorced, one out of five. They also found, they looked at the salary or the income, the collective income of the couples. They said if a couple made a hundred, collectively $100,000 or more and they got divorced, one out of three couples got divorced over debt. They said if a couple made from fifty thousand to nine hundred, I mean to ninety nine thousand dollars, from fifty to ninety nine thousand dollars, it was about twenty three or twenty four percent, and then fifty thousand and below, it was about eighteen percent. So we find, to be true, what the great philosopher of our time, notorious B.I.G., said: "More money, more problems." And so now, as we navigate through this concept of income. How do we posture ourselves to conquer the debt beast? Proverbs 22, 7 says, The rich rule over the poor, and the borrower is slave to the lender. It goes to show you that this issue of finance is not, quote-unquote, a secular topic or a non-spiritual topic. The Bible has much to say of how we handle our resources, this also goes to show you that there's tremendous hope that we can get out of these situations. We serve a God that's so faithful and so generous and so caring that he doesn't just get us out of a spiritual pit. How many of you know he can get you out of a financial pit? We just got to recognize, though, that this is that God, and he is that, that gracious, and the gospel is that applicable that we can learn how to be wise with that. Let me give you five promises right up front as we walk through this series that, we're again, we're entitling the 1322 Challenge. Here's five promises. Promise number one. You will learn how to manage your money more effectively with no judgment attached. We're not here to judge. We're not here to shame. We're saying, let's identify something and let's fix it. Number two, you will learn life-changing strategies on debt reduction and how to bounce back from financial setbacks. Number three, you will not be asked to give a special gift or a special offering of any sort. We won't be asked to do that. It's simply a way to equip you. We want you to fulfill all that God has for you. 
Number four, you will be challenged to make hard decisions to reach your financial goals. Your financial goals are too precious for us not to have to make the hard decisions to posture ourselves to fulfill those goals. And number five, you'll learn how to build wealth. Money that lasts for generations to meet the 1322 challenge. This is our promise to you. We're not saying it's a cure-all. We won't say this happens in two weeks. We're not even saying it's one prayer away. We're saying, can we start this journey together to get through this place? Maybe you're saying, well, I'm good. I'm fine. I don't, I don't necessarily need that. Well, good. Then you could equip somebody else to say, hey, look what my church is doing. Won't you come alongside of us and get this done? So now, let's go back to that verse. And I'm going to unpack it further. Proverbs 22, 7. The poor are ruled by the rich, and those who borrow are slaves of moneylenders. How do I conquer the debt beast? Answer number one, avoid debt. I know you thought I was going to have like a secret sauce out my back pocket and just come out. But sometimes it's simple. Let's walk through this a little bit. Avoid debt. Because when he says in that verse to exegete, it says we're slaves. That means the slave is restricted. The slave doesn't have freedom. The slave can't dream whatever it wants to dream. The slave only has a certain uh, area where it has rights or, or lack thereof. The slave can't do what it wants to do. And so it's saying, listen, don't be a slave to the lender. Be free. And we understand. I said I'll tell you the different kinds of debt. There's credit card debt. We're aware of that. There's consumer debt. There's investment debt because you make investments. There's mortgage debt, and there's business debt. Now, I do want to be intellectually responsible. When I'm, when I'm talking about debt, there's sometimes good debt when you're investing in yourself, they say, like for, for student loans, but at times, some of the loans you're taking out and some of the stuff is not wise. I'm, I'm, I'm speaking from a place of having experienced it, and I'm currently paying it off. Some of it is not wise. Some of it is not the best, but I'm not saying necessarily across the board, anything you had to borrow is the worst thing in the world. But I am saying there's some good questions you should ask yourself before borrowing money. Question number one, does it make sense for me to get this money in alignment with my other financial obligations? In essence, should I borrow this money knowing that I already have to pay back a few things that are on my plate? Good question to ask yourself. Second question you may want to ask yourself is, are my spouse and I in agreement to take on this debt? Notice that. If you're married here, are you both in agreement with the debt? That means no secret service purchases. That means, that means we collectively work together to conquer this debt beast. Can I give a little, let me, let me have a little sidebar, real quick statement. Married couples, if you're here, Please don't use this message as a weapon against your spouse. Don't use this to argue on the car ride back. 
Don't you, listen, this should be, let's get on one accord because who the sun sets free is free indeed and he can get us out of this. Let's get on one accord. I'm not going to use this as a weapon. Don't nudge, don't karate chop, don't fly kick, don't do any of the above. Why you just keep looking at me throughout the whole message and we'll just don't do any side little quick little, uh -uh, that was for you. You know, that was, no, like don't whisper you really needed this. Don't whisper any of those things. All right, let us move on. Now, a good question to ask is, do I have peace of mind or freedom to enter into this debt? Is there a peace? So sometimes when you have to start a business, you have to take out a loan. Is it the right season at the right time? Do you have a peace about it? Or here's another one. This, this is a big one right here. Am I entering into this debt because of guilt or obligation? Here's what I mean. Sometimes we can have relatives that want us to get into debt or borrow from us. And sometimes they'll utilize this line if they know you're a Christ follower. You're a Christian. You're supposed to help. And they'll try to put it on the name of Jesus while you need to help them. Here's what I've experienced. One time I had a relative call us up, ask to borrow $100. The way my wife and I work, we don't make a decision like that in our own vacuum, no matter who it is, no matter if it's an in-law or immediate family member of one of us. It's, we don't make decisions like that. We come back, not in a vacuum, we talk about it. So does so-and-so want to borrow $100? That's one principle. We talk about it. Number two, we never lend money or give out money if we can't live without it, so to speak. So I never give in a way that's going to put me in a bad financial state. I'll give if I'm okay with parting ways with it. Like, if you never pay me back, I'm all right with it. I'm not saying if you borrow for money, you better give me back. But I'm talking about I can live without it. So that's what we said. So they said, can we borrow $100? You ever had a moment where you just felt a check in you, like a pause? And I was like, hold on. It wasn't even about the money. It was the person. And I said, let me think about this. Let's wait. That was like a morning call. Later on in the evening, they sent out a blast text message to the family. Oh, my goodness. I found out one of my favorite artists are coming to town. Tickets are only $150. Do you guys want to go? I was like, <gasps> hold on. You want to use $150. I mean, you wanna, you're going to use the $150 for a luxury, and you want me to let you borrow my 100 for your necessities. Oh, no. Answer, no. I mean, you could have faked it a little bit. At least, like, wait till I gave you the money to send out the blast text. But my goodness, didn't even have sense enough to fake it. What I'm trying to see and what I'm trying to show you is that don't get caught up in somebody else's dysfunction that it's bringing you into a financial irresponsible place. Now, now, Proverbs 22, 26 through 27 says it very wisely. Don't promise to be responsible for someone else's debt. If you should be unable to pay, they will take away even your bed. You say, what does that mean contextually? Let me help you. Don't co-sign. Use wisdom before you co-sign. And I'm going to say this even as a parent, I'm not, but even with your children. Because sometimes, some of you know, you may have adult children that are irresponsible. And they're about to bring you all the way down because you're, you're my mom. You're my dad. You're my, I understand that. 
But sometimes you'll, you find you have some irresponsible folks around you. Be careful who you co-sign with. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, I'm just trying to give you some wisdom. This may not be the, this may not, this is not a swing off the chandelier message. This is some good biblical insight to make sure you live a life that's wise so you can have a wealth for generations to come and that people will be blessed through you. Why? Because you were, in, you were wise with what God allowed you to come across. Don't think, I'm just going to pray this dead away. You better pray and walk it out. You better pray and reflect and say, God, I got to make some changes. So we avoid debt. I'm talking about making a, this message sets you up for a generational shift. It's not just for you right now. It's a generational change of thinking that we can all utilize, right? And I'm thankful we have a God that can get us through it to conquer it. Now, avoid debt sometimes by, by just waiting. Delayed gratification can help all of us. I know it's cool. I know it looks good. I know you want it. But delayed gratification is a blessing to delay the fact that I don't need to keep up with the Joneses at this moment right now. I don't need it right, right now. In fact, Stanford University in 1972 did what's called the marshmallow test, where they put a marshmallow in front of children, and they said, we're going to have this marshmallow. They put them in a room with a marshmallow. If you wait 15 minutes, by the time we come back, we'll, put a, we'll give you two marshmallows. But for right now, here's this one marshmallow. Can you delay your gratification of eating it now so later you can get the two? Let's check out and let's see how that worked out. Okay, sit in that chair. All right, here's the deal. Marshmallow for you. You can either wait, and I'll give you another one if you wait, or you can eat it now. When I come back, I'll give you another one, so then you'll have two. But stay in here and stay in the chair till I come back, okay? okay. All right. I'm gonna go do something, and then I'll come back. It smells yummy. Oh, it smells really good. So I'm gonna leave and then I'll come back, okay? So you can either eat it right now or you can wait. Either way, okay? Okay. How'd you do? Did you do good? You did? Yeah. You wanted to eat it, didn't you? Yeah. So did I tell you to give you another one? Okay, now you can have both. You need them. Awesome. 
How many of you know there is a benefit to delayed gratification? There is a real benefit. They also did follow-up research to find that most children who were able to delay the gratification of taking it, those children that successfully went through the 15 minutes to get the two marshmallows, they had higher SAT scores. They found they did better academically. They also found they had a better body mass index leading into their adulthood so that they knew how to control their eating appetite, everything else. So that, that impulse control could go a long way. Now, I'm not minimizing to say all debt is because of delayed gratification or the lack thereof, but I am saying that can be playing a part that we all can practice today in the here and now. So avoid debt. That's how you get rid of it. The second principle, though, if we're going to conquer the, the, the debt beast, is to attack debt. Attack it. You may say, man, it's too late to avoid it. I have it. I get it. I understand. My wife and I, we're paying off some debt right now. But, my, but not only do you avoid it, that's good to understand. And maybe you're here and you haven't accrued that much. You could be a young person here. could be an early, early college age here. And maybe you haven't accrued that much. But some of us, were in a place where we have it. Now we have to attack it. Here's the thing when it comes to beasts and monsters. You don't tickle monsters. You don't play with monsters. You slay monsters. And so if you're going to attack it, you have to know, I need to slay this thing. I need to make sure I'm coming against this thing. I need to make sure this debt is not going to be the thing that's my demise. And I'm going to break some of the habits, whether I learned them or not. I, we all had bad habits. We all make some purchases that were like, what in the world will we thinking? In fact, if you're here right now and you know you've made a foolish purchase before, wave at me. Wave at me. Wave at me. The rest of you that didn't wave, you're lying. May God set you free. And I'm just saying, move away from them. If the lightning comes down, just get away. Just it was on them. We've all made foolish purchases, especially right in my singleness. I made tons of dumb purchases. And, and I, I was making pretty good money. I was taking care of my debt. I was paying. But some of my purchases, you know, I grew up in a, I grew up loving sneakers. I was what they call a sneakerhead. And so I worked at a sneaker store in high school and everything. So I would always look at sneakers all over the wall. I just loved them. And so I would make purchases on sneakers. Every release of a sneaker that I liked, I was trying to get. And I'm like this. How many of you know that those sneakers can be like a car note? The price of a car note. And, and I'm not opposed to getting a nice pair now or anything. I'm saying I was just like more impulsive to go, if I need to get it when it releases, I want to make sure I get it at that moment because it's hard to get. And so I would make these purchases, and I had to recognize those were dumb purchases. Now, you may say, sneakers, you're foolish. At least get a nice purse, you know, you know, whatever it is. Don't judge my issue. It's yours. And so you have one. You have your little thing. And what I'm saying is you, I had to cure that. That thing had to go. That was bad habit. I, in order to attack it, that was a bad habit. One of the things that cured me was marriage. Okay. And so <laughs> my wife wasn't trying to hear. Now, look, all I'm saying is those are the things that we got to think of if we're going to attack it. And so we also, if we're going to attack it, we need to recognize that it's not necessarily simply a money problem. We can make the mistake of thinking our debt issue is simply a money issue. And what I mean is if we get a promotion, then I'll get rid of all the debt. It's not the case. Because if you don't deal with the habits that got you into that debt, you're just bringing new habits into your new promotion. And you'll continue to accrue more and more and more debt. You'll just have more money to play with and get into more debt. So it's a heart issue. Because <coughs> sometimes those material things are tempting. 
I've never, look, that's the whole point about temptation. Temptation is tempting because the thing is attractive. You want it in the here and now. That's the whole point of it. It won't be, I never met a person that was tempted by something they didn't want. That's not the whole essence of temptation. And we'll play tricks in our minds. We'll, we'll reason in our heads why we want something or why we need it or why we could use it. You know how it goes. You walk into your car. You look at your car. You see crumbs. Kids left. Crumbs from a, a meal you ate on the way to work. You look at your car. doesn't even smell good no more. You're like, man, this thing stinks on the inside, man. You start looking at your car. Nothing wrong, really. Nothing major wrong. Regular maintenance issues. But you're looking at, like, I need a new car, man. I need a new car. And you'll start reasoning. And then you're thinking, like, I got, you know, I got new growth in my hair, too. So I need to show the world this growth. It's, so I go like this. I say no for no reason to people. No, I go like this just to show how beautiful my hair. So I don't think I need a roof anymore. So a new car, I need to make sure it doesn't have a roof. Mm. I need to be in a convertible drop top. I mean, this is, mm, this car. And then we don't spiritualize it. This is not the car the Lord wants me to have right now. This is how it works. That's how temptation works. Little by little, you'll start talking yourself into a bad purchase. How many of you know that, that many financial advisors will tell you one of the quickest ways to depreciate, that quickest things that depreciate is a brand new car. It's the quickest thing. Quickest thing to depreciate. As soon as you drive off the lot, you lost a few thousand dollars. As soon as you went off the lot. He said it depreciates. So, but we'll talk ourselves into like, then, oh, I need this car right now. And then, you know, if you're like me. How many of you like the new car smell? I like a new car. You ever jumped in a friend's new car or I bought a new car? You walk in, smells good in here. It's the new car smell. You like it? Wave at me. If you like the new car, I like the new car smell. Let me help you out. There's those little trees they sell for 99 cents. And it has, they have a scent. It says new car scent. Go vacuum the inside of your car. Throw that bad boy up. You got the smell. I just saved you a few thousand dollars. Thank me later and tell your others your pastor loves you. And so, look. All I'm saying is don't go and get something because it's tempting in the here and now. That's the point. Don't reason away why it will be financially irresponsible for you to jump in to that commitment in the here and now. Because it happens. Even, even when you think about furniture, you can do that. You walk in the home, I need a new living room set. You know you don't have the cash for it. So you start thinking, maybe if I get this, I could put it on credit. Most stores have a credit option right now, and you get that little $5,000. let us say it's a $5,000 new living room makeover. You watch some HGTV. You felt inspired. Chip and Johanna got you real creative. You know what I'm saying? What, what are the twins? I forget what the twins are. I, I know all of it. I like HG, don't, ESPN, HGTV, two, two things on my household. And so they got you inspired. You're like, I'm going to change this up, but I don't have $5,000. Let me put it on the card. That's where it happens. That's where it starts. So you're going to put on that store car, knowing that you could have been a little more responsible like the young couple who just cut, cut a couple cardboard boxes had a good time in the middle of the living room. No, I'm not saying you got to be that bad. Maybe close, but not that bad. Or for, for my men, wave at me, men. How many of you, and I'm not going to be gender specific. Let me just be honest, though. But it's usually men sometimes that really love the whole big screen TV situation. So our $5,000 might look a little different. We like, like, I'm a, I'm a sports guy, so I like watching my sports a certain way. I try to explain to my wife, I need to see the sweat come down from LeBron James's head to know that God, God wants me to watch sports like this. 
This is the vision God has for me from the foundations of the earth. He wanted me to watch sports. Like, you know, so we'll reason away why we need the 85-inch big old TV to go get it. And, I, you know, I'm no judgment, judgment-free zone. Some of you bought that TV this week because the Super Bowl was coming up tonight. And you know you had a party going on. And you're like, oh, I'm going to step it up. Last year, I'm going to bring it from next, next level from last year. And you got the 49ers in Kansas City. You're like, I want to feel like I'm in Miami, Papa. I need to make sure I got little fans blowing on me so we feel like we got a Miami breeze while we watch the 49ers and Kansas City Chiefs because they're playing in Miami. You're like, I want to feel it. You got the 85-inch. You made that terrible purchase. You put it on the card. Not every TV is bad. I'm just saying you put it on the card. You put it on the card, and you're like, oh, I'm gonna get, I'll get it later, some later, sometime down a few years, but right now I need my moment. And I'm saying, okay, you made that bad purchase. The Super Bowl's tonight. What, 6.30, 6 o'clock, 6.30 p.m.? Don't bring it back yet. Enjoy it. Bring it back tomorrow, though, because you don't need that bad boy. I'm saying, listen, I'm saying nothing wrong with making certain luxury purchases. I'm saying save up so you could pay for it in full at times or save up so you could, because this is how the creditors get you. I worked for an appliance store that the store card had a 22% interest rate when I was in college. Let me show you how it works. What 5,000 can look like on an 18.9% interest rate. Take a look. Let's say you spent 5,000. I was going to get real, real right here. 18.9% interest. Usually they, they say, hey, just pay a minimum, pay the minimum balance, which is like 2%. That's the minimum. They use like 2% is about $100. Do you not know it'll take you 30 plus years to pay off that $5,000? And it'll be $19,564.30 by the time you paid it off, if you paid the minimum. I'm talking about attacking it. Here's a benefit of attacking things head on. If you didn't, look at that, 19, by the time you paid that TV off 30 plus years, people will be watching holograms. They want to be watching TV. Let's go, maybe you gotta to want to get, a, okay, you say, I'm gonna be a little bit more aggressive. 18.9%, $200, maybe you put 200. It'll take you 11 years to pay it off in five months at $8,109.15. Let's see if you got a little more aggressive. Go to the next one, $500, that's 10%. It'll take four years, but you end up paying $5,921.98. But let's say you saved up, you knew the Super Bowl was coming, you knew you had a goal to upgrade your TV, and you were like, you know what, I want to upgrade, I'm going to pay for it in full. Let's see what happens. You pay $5,000 in full cash, guess how much you pay for it? $5,000. I know that was deep, deep math right there, but... I'm just trying to show you how quickly it works, and that's how the system is set up. I had a friend of mine who looked at me in the eyes. He told me, Lionel, I, I, he's 37. He said, Lionel, I haven't even worked on paying off my student loans. I keep deferring it. I keep deferring it. And I kept thinking, I hear you. I understand why you would do it, but do you know how much interest is accruing on that money while it's out there? If we're going to attack it, we have to be aware of how the system works and not be blinded by, I just want it in the here and now. Let's attack it. Let's be strategic and let's be real about what we need to do to get things done. One skill we have, or one, one I'm talking about attacking debt, and we're going to be unpacking more of this Next week, we'll be unrolling tools. We're not just here preaching. We're going to give tools and classes. There's going to be a midweek uh, component to this if you desire to take it and grow. 
But how many of you heard of the debt snowball? That's one of the biggest strategies most people give. And it's very encouraging. My wife and I have utilized it. The debt snowball is when you take the, credit, the debt or the, the debt you have, you put what's the least amount you owe to the greatest amount you owe. And you start to pay off by the least amount you owe. I don't care if it's just $100. Start with that card first. The reason why, it builds a level of affirmation. It affirms you. You're encouraged. You're like, okay, I see some progress. Let me get rid of this now. And so it starts to build progress. You'll feel a sense of accomplishment when you start with the least to the greatest. And that's how you snowball and kill some of your debt. There you go. You got that for free. Now go and execute. And that's one of the ways you could take care of it. I want to finish with this last point. Last point. I talked about attacking debt. I talked about avoiding debt. But it's not just a fad or it's not just I'm going to try this while we're talking about it in our series. Because we have some great themes coming up in the following weeks on creative income streams and how to think through that. We'll be interviewing some great thinkers on that. On, um, you know, I've heard some great, great ways you can make income that people don't really think through. But here's, it's a lifestyle shift, and this is my third and final point. We must aim debt-free. It's to say, I want to think, I want to function. I don't care how young or how old you are, like a person that understands legacy. We need to function as individuals that say, God, I don't think you're just God of the moral, ethical side of my life. I don't think you're just God of the relational side of my life. I also place you as God as the fiscal side of my life. And it's just about using wisdom to aim to say, I have some things in mind that I need to take care of. See, when you, when you have wisdom, you have a different life goal, you change your self-talk. Self-talk could be, man, I work hard. I deserve this big purchase or to put this on a card. I work hard. Your self-talk now becomes, I work hard. I deserve to be out of debt and stay free. It changes. When you aim to be debt-free, you recognize certain things and certain hard decisions have to be made. It's tough. You know, one of my kryptonites, see, I'm one of the type of individuals that I don't like big purchases. That's not me. I can't stand a big purchase. I get angst about a big purchase. I'm like, ah, you know, I'm looking at like, do we really need a stove? I'm saying we could throw a couple, you know, dry wood and some fire and put a little metal plate over it. We'll be good. You know, I don't like big purchases. I, oh, man, I can't stand them. But here is my kryptonite. Eating out. Going somewhere, getting a quick meal on the way. I'm on the go. To eat out because I don't feel like meal planning the whole, but eating out. How many, wave at me if you know what I'm talking about on that, the eating out thing. Here's what research shows. The average American person eats out four to five times a week. Four to five times a week. That's the average, some more, some less. 2017 study. They also found this, that the average meal is about $12.75. $12.75. Now, I was thinking when they said that, I'm like, they must have did this somewhere in the Midwest. Midwest, Because if you ate out here in Montclair, that's $12.75. That's just the burger. You may not even get the fries for that much. That's like another $8 to throw the fries next to that $12.75. And then, so, you know, whatever. But I'm, I'm using the numbers they gave me. $12.75 a meal. 
they went on to say, that's an average, listen, hear me, we blow $232 on eating out a month. That's over, that's well over $2,000 by the end of the year, just on eating out. They took the same numbers and said, hold on, if they traded it, now I'm not, I'm not against date nights and all that, I'm not saying that. I'm not talking about my wife and I, we plan for date nights, we budget for that. I'm saying a consistent lifestyle of going out, eating consistently throughout the day. They said if the average American, they took the, the average price of groceries and what it made towards one meal, they said, so if you cooked at home, that one meal is now $4. It averages about $4 when you look at your groceries and how many meals you get out of cooking. They said that's about $4 a meal. They said if a person just stopped eating out, you made no change outside of just stopping to eat out often, they say you'll save an average of $159 a month. If you just calm down with eating out. Hard decisions we have to make sometimes to say, what do I need to pull back on? For you, it may not be eating out. For me, I was talking to, I was talking to a financial advisor. He said, Lionel, you'll be shocked at how much money comes out of people's bank accounts a month just from debit card fees because they didn't use their bank to pull money out. Just the fee, just because you didn't want to go an extra five blocks to your bank and you went to the bodega down the corner to get the money out. They're saying there's a lot of ways for us to cut back. What are some hard decisions you got to make? Why? Because it's not simply about being just frugal person or you're being cheap. Where I'm saying I want to be in a place where I could be even more generous because my financial life is in order. I want to be in a place where I can help even more people because why? I'm using wisdom. And sometimes it's not just giving them a handout. It's teaching others how to think differently about the resources they have. And it's, we're all doing this together. This is not like nobody's like this superhero champion Avenger at this, that they're like, oh, I have no issue with this. Some may have worked to that point, but even if that's you, who are you helping along the way to make sure they can also get out of that pit? There's a good debt that we can have. Paul talks about it, the Apostle Paul in Romans 13, 8. He says, let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another, for whoever loves others has fulfilled the law. If we're going to be in debt, let us be indebted to loving one another properly. He says, don't owe anyone. Just love on them properly. And I know it, it, a message like this goes extremely perpendicular to the ethos of our culture. Extremely goes against it. And many people say, well, that's normal. Who's heard that? That's normal. That's normal. Dave Ramsey have a great reply, the financial guru. He says, that is normal. Be weird. Be weird. If that's the case, if it is normal, you're right, then be different. You don't necessarily have to live bound to debt. I'm not going to oversell or undersell. This is not a one-stop message cure-all. This is not, you know, at the end of this, I'm going to pray, and all of a sudden, you're going to go back to your account. And it's growing. Navient's going to be like, oh, my goodness, somebody hacked our systems, and we don't know how much you owe. Can you remind us? 
People go, oh, like $5. I had like $5 left. That's not going to happen. What is going to happen, though, is saying, Lord, change me on how I interact. Give me strategy. Give me wisdom. And he's hearing that prayer, not just through this message, but next week we'll be unrolling some great stuff that you need to come back for to go, hold on. I want to be a part of that because I really can utilize this. I'll close with this illustration when I think of Proverbs 13, 22, which reads again, a good person leaves an inheritance for their children's children. It's not simply just about familial, your nuclear family. When I think of this, I think of an individual by the name of Kira Kennard. CNN reported on this in July 19, 2019. She lived in Iowa, and she wanted to go to college but did not have the financial means to get there. In fact, it was breaking her heart because she would hear her other friends talk about going off to college, and she knew she didn't have that ability financially. So one day she got a call. Somebody told her, the other voice on the line, we're offering you a scholarship. Offering me a scholarship? They say, yes, what, would you take it? We're offering you a scholarship. She said, sure. When she went off and got more understanding on where this scholarship was coming from, here's what she found because it says she broke down in tears. It was a fund that came from a person by the name of Dale Schroeder. He was a hard worker, blue-collar worker. Never went to college but desired to. They said Dale Schroeder was born in 1919 and he was a carpenter for 67 years. He only owned a couple pair of jeans, one for the weekends, one for working hard. And he would rotate different types. But it said that he was so, he never had children, never got married, but he was able to save $3 million. What he wrote out when he, before he died in 2005, and he wrote out, he said, I want to create a fund that helps bring young people through college with this $3 million. His fund just dried up recently. Why? Because his fund, people that he never met before, was able to send 33 young adults through college full ride. Full ride. That is a picture of the 1322 life. They call that group of individuals that went through on his fund the Dale Kids because he desired to see generations even after him be blessed and not be bogged down by the weight of unhealthy debt, but feel free to live out what they were called to do and to get an education that supported them. Now, I don't know what God has for you. I don't know if you'll ever or I'll ever come to a place where I can have a fund that sends a few dozens of people through college. I don't know. But I do know this. When I look at Proverbs 13, 22, I look at it as a challenge to say, hold on, Lord. I want to make some adjustments in my life. It may look different for everybody, but I want to make some adjustments that show I'm a good steward. I'm a good manager. I'm someone you can trust with more, with the current income I have. Sometimes our philosophy or theology is choppy. Lord, give me a promotion. Give me more. Just give me more money. And sometimes God's response is, what are you doing with what you have now? 